Hello and welcome to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and strategies for coaching the mental game of softball. I'm Melanie Rushing, and I'll be joined shortly by Alicia Smith and today's guest to discuss building a culture that's authentic to you. This subject is near and dear to our hearts, as our returning listeners certainly know. We've created a core process for building team culture, but ultimately it has to be authentic to you and the team that you're coaching in that moment. It can seem a bit overwhelming to try to narrow down such a huge topic like culture, which is why we created the Dream Team Blueprint. And you're going to have another opportunity to create your own blueprint, customized for your specific coaching style and each unique team you coach. Softball Coaches Culture Bootcamp kicks off Sunday, July 5th with, drumroll please, the University of Michigan coaching staff. So excited for this. Registration will open next Monday, June 22nd, so keep an eye slash ear out for that link. Now that I'm thoroughly pumped about that, on to another awesome interview. Today's guest is not just a coach, she also has her PhD in kinesiology, is a published author, and has been a panelist and speaker at the Softball Excellence Pitching Summit multiple times. She's coached at some of the highest academic institutions in the country and knows how to unlock the power of the mind. One of the coolest parts of her journey that I know we all can relate to is how she's taken a piece of the culture of each of her coaching stops and has melded it into her own authentic style. So without further ado, let's hear how she does it. Please welcome Dr. Megan Brown. Welcome, Coach. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome, Coach. I think this is, uh, I'm really excited to talk to you. I think it's definitely uh, the first guest we've had on that has a doctorate in kinesiology. So we're super excited to talk to you because I know you have a lot of experience, not only in coaching, but also in the education world. So welcome and thanks for joining today. Oh, thank you all for having me. So the first thing we wanted to discuss today is, is talk about culture because we think it's one of the most important things and if not the most important thing in building a team, building a program. So what would you see as the ideal team culture? I think culture a lot of times is so very different. Um, if you look around the world in culture outside of sport, there's so many cultures um, in our world. And I think if anyone said, oh, my culture is better than your culture, you would probably have a really good debate on your hands at that point. And in my experience, uh, I had the opportunity to play overseas for several years and to see the culture of sport in other countries and how it manifests itself in relation to their national culture really helped me understand that the culture you build on your team is very much one who your head coach is, the institution you currently work for, your administration, and then the young ladies that you bring into your program. I don't know that there's the perfect this is how you win every game culture because if there was we would all do it and then someone would have to lose so I think sometimes people get caught up in I want to replicate what the top school in the country is doing because they've obviously found the secret sauce that's going to make my team perfect but you don't have the same players and even more importantly you don't have the same person at the at the top of the program so I think a lot of it is finding what really works for your personal coaching style, and then if you're not a head coach, definitely what works within the realm and umbrella of your head coach. I love that, and it's so true. We're always, even if it's subconscious, <laughs> we're always looking <laughs> for like the quick fix, the the magic sauce, right? <laughs> oh yes. If I I tell players, you know, if I could whack you on the head and make you good, I would one make a lot more money, and two, <laughs> you know, travel a lot more. So. <laughs> So true. Okay, so what are some of the things from other cultures specifically that you feel could be beneficial to team cultures on the softball field? 
I think one of the big things is culture typically unites people. And I think that's one of the harder things that young players are learning as they're coming up into the college atmosphere. They've played some high school ball, hopefully, um, and had an opportunity to kind of play for a team where you're pulling together towards one goal. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes in our younger ages with the showcasing, and I'm really excited about the new recruiting rules, I'm hoping they're going to kind of help pull this down a little bit. But I think for our current college players, they were so used to, I'm showcasing my skill to get my scholarship, that when they come into college and it's like a we and an us environment, I think that's one of the big shockers for them. So I think as a coach helping players understand it's us, it's we, it's not your error, it's our error. It's not your hit, it's our hit. And helping them feel the collective pulling together is one of the biggest pieces and sometimes one of the biggest struggles because you have some really great players with really great personalities that kind of are used to doing it their way. And now it's like, okay, how does your way fit in our way and help us all pull in the same direction? So that to me is one of the biggest things for people to help their players understand of even, even the language you use as a coach of our team and the very much the inclusive adjectives of us and we and are and not just me and my and I is one of the biggest things for culture. I think that's re- you, you are not the only coach that has said that exact same thing. I mean, some, some coaches have said they don't even know how to play a seven-inning game because they never do. So they don't even know how to compete for seven straight innings, right? So I think that that's the travel ball, um, the downside of the travel ball and where things have gone. It is. I've actually had a young lady at one school I worked for ask us how long games were. What was the time limit? Oh, <laughs> yeah, we were like, oh, wow, we're going to have to let that one sit for a minute before we <laughs> respond. Uh, so it is, it's different. They don't always realize we're like, no, sweetie, it's seven innings, like no time. Yeah. <laughs> a long time. Double what yes. you're used to. You'll be here for a minute. It's okay. <laughs> I, I feel like as a high school coach that, that a lot of high schools probably battle that exact same thing because most of the kids are playing travel, at least on my program. And they play all summer, all fall, winter, and then they come to high school for a very short time. But one of the things I've noticed um, with my program as they notice a difference when they go to their travel ball organization and it's not like it is in high school, right? It's not this, this team united everything because they, and they have this difference. So it's like the opposite for them. But I think what they struggle with is the, the teammates around them because they don't come from the same type of strong culture where it is all about the team. And I, I see a lot of high school coaches, I think that also really struggle with that exact same thing. Oh yes. I, that I have no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think for me personally, I take pride in the fact that the coaches are, or the players will always contact me over this in, in a weird way. Right. I take pride in the fact that the kids are like, coach, it's just not the same as high school. So I think, but it takes an enormous amount of effort in order to build that culture over many, many, many years. Like you said, it's not, it's not ma- it's not, you know, beating the head over the kid and saying you're going to be good, but it's also the same for a culture, right? So what are some of the things that you do uh, and help building that over time? I think a lot of things, um, I heard Beverly Smith from South Carolina talk about it. She actually got it from someone else, but they were talking about how you kind of have to little drips like a faucet a little bit every day. You know, if they 
feel like they're drinking from a fire hose. They don't really get much more than just wet. But if you, it's daily intentional work. That's one of the things I talk a lot about is just daily intentional work. What are we doing daily? What is the, they just start to realize that this is how we talk about things. Um, I died laughing at a team meeting not long ago where I was like, oh, it only took four months for to get our California girls to say y'all. And one of them said it to me. <laughs> yep. Why did I just say y'all? And I'm thinking, well, because you hear me say it all the time, probably because no one else says it. But it was funny because <laughs> they start to say what you say. And I think a lot of it is coaches talk about culture and they do mental training in a classroom. And then when they go to the field, it's like, oh, well, we're, we're, this is softball right here. This, you know. And a question I've, asked, I've been asked a lot of times in interviews is how often do you do mental training with your, with your pitching staff? It's like, well, we do it every mm. day. You know, adversity is part of the training. Mental training is part of the training. So I think coaches being more mindful to integrate it into everything you do because that's what culture. Culture is everything we do, not just little bits and pieces. It's everything you do. So I think creating that atmosphere and that culture around your team How do you want players to greet each other? Well, then when they come into practice, you should greet them that way. How do you want players to talk to each other? Then you need to speak to them in a similar tone and manner and then correct them when they are kind of off base with how they how they greet each other, how they do things. If there's a certain way you want stuff done and picked up, then, you know, make sure you're mimicking those things, but then also helping them along with no. Now, that's not how we do it here. We do this. In, in this program and just daily little bits and pieces because they, they mimic what you say. They mimic, you'll hear them in team meetings all the time for every program. They're like, well, you know, it's like coach says, and it, they'll say, you know, like coach, whoever says this, they listen to what we say. They probably hear the things we wish they didn't hear the most, but they will mimic you because they do want to please you. So making sure that your behavior and the things you say and how you say them are lining up with the culture you I love this. It's so true. And I think that's what like the aha moment for a lot of coaches is when they start picking up on the things that we've been <laughs> preaching at on the whole time, right? Um, what are some ways that you kind of narrowed in on, okay, well, what am I bringing to this culture every day? Because I know like me, I'll hear something. Ooh, that's a great idea. Ooh, that's a cool philosophy. Like, ooh, I want to do that more. <laughs> and then you can kind of just cover a whole lot of nothing. I guess the best way I can answer this question would be as a coach, you have to find out who you are as a person and who you are as a coach. One of the most valuable lessons I learned when I first started coaching, because at that time I was actually still playing professionally while I was coaching. And so as a player, I was probably not the most lovely person to deal with because I was a pitcher and we're, we're weird like that. You know, we just want to kick your teeth in and that's a great pitching mentality. It's not a very nice player mentality. Um, and it's definitely not a great coaching mentality. And I had to learn that I couldn't coach the way I played and how to step back and say, okay, if I want to see that, you know, hardcore, aggressive, competitive mentality in players, what do I need to do as a coach to help them get there? How do I lead them to that? As opposed to this is how I am and you should be just like me. Cause it creates a lot of pushback. Whereas if you teach it's more of teaching players than it is, 
you know, always just kind of beating them over the head with what they need to do and how they need to be. Because as a coach, you don't cross the lines. So while you're mimicking all of your culture, you have to remember your role as a coach is not a player. So you have to teach your players how to be players in your culture, and you have to be a coach in your culture. And those are very important roles, but they are very different roles. And as so, as such, I've actually learned that I had to set my thermostat a lot lower as a coach than as a player. I had to learn I need to be a lot calmer than where players react with every call of the umpire as a coach. It's a really great way to get tossed. Um, in fact, I have my, you know, shameless moment where I realized I was not cool. I was coaching in the game and a close play happened at first. And I had the arm guards that the players use. And I had two of them in my hand. And I oh, no. decided I would help the umpire know that the girl was safe. So I put my little arms out. And he called her out. She was out. But, you know, I was going to try to help. And when, I, when he called her out, I just brought, I was like, ah, oh, and I kind of threw my arm down. Well, when I look, I have two straps, but only one elbow guard. So if you just saw this play out, it would look as if I had thrown one of our elbow guards at the head coach for the opposing team in the first base dugout. And I realized I need to calm down because I'm fixing oh, no. <laughs> So as I'm profusely apologizing to a Hall of Fame coach who I just threw an elbow guard at, I realized I need to settle down and calm down. And that helped me tremendously as a coach. I think I learned that lesson very early too. It was transitioning from being a division one player to the competitiveness to coaching. And I went from playing in college to coaching a JV team, right? So my expectations were way beyond what they should have been and learning to learning to find that happy medium, but also learning. You said it really well, right? How to coach them in, in your culture, right? And helping guide them, right? Because you set up, you set up the baseline of what your culture should be. And you have all of those players that are trying to find their place in the team or on the team and also within the culture, but you also have to coach them, right? Not just on the skills and fundamentals, but what it means to be a good teammate and all of those other things is foundation, you know, of your culture that you've set. It is very important. It's very important too for players, especially when you're a young coach, of one of the one of the reasons I require players to call me Coach Brown and not Coach Megan is when I started coaching, I was very young and I looked like I was about their age. But the Coach Brown allowed that separation. Oh, she's not, we're not on a first name basis with this person. That And not that it's like, oh, look at me, I'm in charge. But helping players understand that your role is different than them as a player. They can't look to you as their player teammate. They have to see you as their coach and their their leader. And even if you're not the head coach, as an assistant, they need to see that you are following the head coach who is the leader of the team. And all of us, you, know, you have to create very much a pyramid effect, especially as an assistant. We're working up to the head coach, and we all have very different roles. I see a lot of younger coaches, they want the players to like them and they want to be their friend. And that a lot of times, in trying to do something positive, what sometimes young assistants end up doing is creating a culture around themselves and not around the program and not around the team. And that's something you have to be very careful of as a young coach. Because it's mistakes we've all made, but it's stuff that you have to go, whoa, time out. How am I as an assistant bringing the culture 
towards the head coach, bringing the leadership towards the head coach, not, oh, all the kids love me. Well, great. But do they love your culture or do they love the team culture? Because it can sometimes be two different things, and you've got to check yourself on that. That's a very good point and hard to do when you're a young coach because a lot of times, well, I know I just wasn't self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> and it's things we all, I mean, some coaches – some players now with so many opportunities the NCAA has created with student coaches and graduate assistants. And sometimes players are, are literally coaching their teammates. In, and it's like, oh, wow. And, and these are things that you have to kind of learn and learn on the fly because it can be – you can find yourself in a bad spot without realizing it if you don't kind of check yourself on a daily basis. What are some tips you have for coaches who might tend toward the friend zone <laughs> to help keep it professional, but still helpful more? I like to think of it as like a mentorship. Like I'm not your boss, but I'm here to mentor you, not give you a pat on the back when you're feeling bad. Well, it, the most blunt statement I can give you is as a young coach, remember that your boss is going to get you your next job, not the kids. So that one I'll just <laughs> That's kind of the harsh thing. point. <laughs> yeah, like the, <laughs> these kids aren't getting you your next job. And in some cases, they may cost you this one. But your boss and the connections you make with other coaches are going to be what builds your resume and kind of helps you uh, move on. The other one is I highly recommend a slow progression of getting to know your players. Of Yes, you're there. Yes, you, you know, you interact with them. But keep things very slow as far as how you get to know them. You know, on the first day, keep things, you know, how are you? You know, keep it very light and get to know them over the course of a year, not try to find out as much as you can about them the first week of practice. Because then they feel like, oh, coach wants to be my friend because that's what their friends do. But what mentors do is they ask you tough questions. They ask you questions about yourself. Um, I was really blessed when I was a GA. I wasn't even coaching softball. I was a GA for our wellness programs when I was getting my master's. And they had a mentorship program with senior administrators. And I had a tremendous mentor and was a sweet lady. She knew me. But when we talked, it was, she asked hard questions. She didn't ask how my, it was, she would ask how my family was, but she would ask me like, what's your five-year plan? Like, what's your goals? What are you looking to do with, with your career? She asked hard questions, which was great because I needed someone, I needed people to ask me these questions, but I respected her so much as a mentor because of the types of questions she was asking me. She wasn't asking me what type of music I listened to, who my favorite rock band, you know, or whatever band, I don't even know what kind of music kids listen to nowadays, but, um, you know, not my favorite Instagram feed. It was, you know, questions that were asking me to be a better person, better employee to grow me. And I think as coaches, that's how we need to build relationships to keep that roles very clear. When you're talking to the kids, yes, yes, you get to know them. But as you're chatting around practice, it needs to be very much, okay, what are your goals for the season? How, how are you wanting to grow as a, as a player, as a leader? And they kind of help the kids understand what your role is in this interaction because you have to set the boundaries, not the kids. So that would probably be the best advice. It can be hard 
But then at the same time, if you invest slowly in those relationships, you're going to have kids that will run through a wall for you and for the program. And they're going to they're going to come to you and call you after they graduate asking, coach, what do I do about this? Because they know you you had high, you were foresighted enough when you first met them to look towards their future, not just their current state. And I think as long as you can be authentic to who you are in that process yes. is really the the key and, and super important, right? To, to building those relationships and to maintaining the coach player relationship and getting to know them because you also have to be, be authentic, right? Not only like, I also think about it in the way I coach on the field, for example, I am super emotional and fiery and fist pump and screaming up and down. Yet when my kids do something really well. Oh yes. And I think that like, Early in my career, I, I would look at all the successful coaches and see what they did and, and try to think about emulating them, knowing, you know, figuring out, I guess, later later on in my career that that wasn't who I was and not apologizing for how I coach as well. And, and I don't care what other people think because I am super excited when my kids do something really well and I'm celebrating that. So how do you, how do you keep your authenticity uh, and maintaining all of that and, and and how did you, I guess, learn to develop that? Because maybe you didn't, but I personally felt like I had to develop that. Did you feel the same? Yes, very much so. I think, I don't think it's much different than how players who are really successful kind of develop who they are as a person. They become very authentic in what they do and what they say. Um, I think a lot of developing an authentic coach is being really comfortable with who you are off the field being really confident in what you do and who you are as a person, which I mean, I think is a struggle for all of us on a daily basis. But one of the things I see is when you watch other coaches, you don't want to be the mirror of them. You want to be kind of a piece of them. Kind of as if, if coaching is a puzzle, you take a piece from all the great coaches and then you probably would have the best coach ever. If you took all the, just the greatest piece from each coach. And I think that's kind of what I did is, I was really blessed to have a lot of people speak into my career and speak into my life as really great coaches. And I probably have parts of all of them in how I coach and certain things I do, but I'm definitely not a mirror of any one coach I've ever worked for or read about or learned about. Um, I think a lot of it is finding out what works for you. How are you most successful? How do you get kids to you know, the proverbial, how do you get them to get it? How do you say things that helps a player understand what they're doing and how they're doing things? And that will give you your best option of how you should coach. When kids really get it and you teach something and they're just like, got it, oh, yes, and you see immediate improvement, take note of those things because that's when you're your best self, your most authentic self. Um, the other thing is I've learned don't try to impress kids with how – with, with how good of a coach you are or with how good of a player you were or, you know, most kids become comfortable when you're like, listen, I've never been cool a day in my life. Why start now? Why worry about it now? And just being, being who you are as a person, being vulnerable when you need to be, being strong when you need to be and being comfortable in your own skin. That's when I see coaches struggling when you can tell they're not really comfortable in their own skin as, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know my craft. I know my skills that I'm to teach. And I teach them to the best of my ability. When coaches can settle and go there, they do really great. 
when they're still trying to impress the kids or their boss with how much they know is usually when they start shooting themselves in the foot. Ding, ding, ding. Been there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm preaching to the choir this morning. This is not a, I figured it out, you know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, been there. And I don't think I realized it till after. (laughs) I was like, ah, dang it. (laughs) it all together. Me too. All of everything that she said is like something that you just have to figure out as you go and you you make mistakes and you screw up and you realize these things over time yes I think back when I first started coaching and I mean you know your mom's supposed to think everything you do is wonderful my mom is not one of those moms but (laughs) even she was like yeah you weren't a very good coach back then like you were not good I was like wow thanks mom but (laughs) it was true very good that would be my dad I get you yeah (laughs) So I, the joke in our family is I have to, as a coach, win five national championships. And they'll be like, hey, you know, you coach a good team. That's <laughs> the right. mark in the Brown family. <laughs> High achievers. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talk a lot about having a common language and communication, though we know that figuring out our unique style as a process. What uh, tips do you have as far as at least being your best communicator? What are some tips you get for that? One of the best communication traits is kind of the obvious listening. When I was in college, I had a, the wonderful opportunity to play for a Hall of Fame coach in Chris Bellotto at Florida Southern. And she used to tell us, I never learned anything by talking. And she always encouraged us to listen. And I found that if you just stay quiet long enough, most people will tell you everything you need to know. Sometimes more than you wanted to know. True. But I think the biggest thing with being a communicator is it's better for someone to say, okay, as long as it's handled, I'm good to go. Then your boss to come to you and go, why didn't you tell me this? Because over-communication is always your best bet. A lot of transparency with what you do is a huge goal. One of the biggest things I've learned over the years with players is players want to know the why. And I learned this when I first started coaching outfield because I at times coach outfield. And as a pitching coach, the whys of what we did were so integrated in our bullpens of, okay, this is the goal and this is why we're doing it. I never realized I didn't tell our outfielders the why of the drills we were doing. And sometimes there's a, what are we doing? And I realized once I gave them the why, they were good. We're doing this drill because we need to have faster transfers. They were good as soon as they understood where we were going with this. And I think sometimes we want players to just take us at our word. We want head coaches, if you're an assistant, to be like, well, they should just trust what I say and that be okay. Sometimes giving people the why, especially when they're getting to know you, is a huge confidence and trust builder because they start to realize if you have purpose for everything you do, and I see that purpose living out daily, then when you communicate with me, I trust that even if I don't understand the why now, I will eventually, but you have to build that trust from the start. I think with communication, sometimes people assume trust before they build trust. And that's where you have a lot of miscommunication. And that's something I've learned. You have to take time to 
this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing. And even with your, with your boss in the office of, you know, if you go in with coach, I see this as a struggle for our team. I think this would help. This is why I think we should do this. They start to see you have an investment in the team and a buy-in and that builds their trust in you. So then later in the year you go, coach, we need to do this. They know you have a good reason. They know you've done your research. They know you know your stuff. You're not just shooting from the hip and reacting. So I think the biggest thing for communication is you have to build trust, not assume trust. And if you want to be trusted, you must be proven trustworthy. And that's sometimes a step people skip. And I think listening, listening to your players as well builds is, is really that other listening piece that helps build trust yes. in that relationship, right? Like I will spend time asking my sometimes my seniors or the most experienced kids or even the team in general, what do we need to work on today? How are things going? And they, they know what they need to work on and they will be honest with you. And that helps build that communication. Absolutely. Letting players, letting players feel free to ask questions and almost respectfully rumble with you a little bit. You know, if I've had players tell me before, coach, this drill does nothing for me. It doesn't help me get better. I don't get it. I don't know. I was like, well, we're not going to waste time doing it. We need, you need to fix this skill. So we're going to find a new drill where it actually makes your brain understand what's going on. And I think sometimes we, we don't let players, I mean, there's obviously a respectful way to do those things, but I think sometimes having just a conversation as opposed to a confrontation with players is an extremely important aspect to building things. Absolutely. And it gives them, you know, they're vested into the program. They're invested into getting better and that really helps, helps them as well. Absolutely. Coach, what are some of the things you talked about earlier? You talked about some of the mental training you're, you know, you do every day. Are there some things that you can share with us on some of the tips or tips that you could give coaches on how to implement those types of things. One of the things with mental training is make it as parallel to the sport as possible. So if you have players who struggle getting their bullpens into games, talk about that with them in the bullpen when they're actually pitching and ask them, okay, throw this pitch in the bullpen. All right, what are your thoughts? What are things that are going through your mind? okay, now what if this was a game and give them scenarios and ask them how are they physiologically responding to this? Do, are they starting to feel stressed? Are they starting to feel tightness in their shoulders? Are they starting to feel some anxiety in their stomach? What are them putting them in a position where they're pitching and they can kind of play with things and work with things is one of the best atmospheres. Cause it's when I'm sitting in a classroom or sitting in an office or whatever, and we're talking about pitching in a game, I may or may not feel the physical responses to stress or lack of mental clarity. But when I'm in the bullpen or when I'm in a scrimmage or in a game, that's when it kind of gets real. And the more you can mimic pressure, the more you can mimic stress. And different things will stress different kids, and that's where you kind of have to play with and do a lot of different things because it will also help players – they may thrive in three-two counts, but they may flip out with bases loaded, regardless of the count. And so you have to find out which kids thrive in three-two. So you put them in three-twos and let them be really successful under that stress. You know, load the bases for your other kids and help them understand. Okay, how do you work through this? How do we break this down into smaller parts and pieces? What? How do we take the? One of the things we talk about is how do you get 
how do you turn the light on and realize that the scary monster under your bed is a dust bunny? You know, I can sit in my bed scared to death that there's a scary monster underneath, or I can turn on the light and find out it's a dust bunny. So do we shed light on the things that, that seem scary but aren't really there? And how do we talk with our pitchers about those? And some of these conversations need to happen in one-on-one bullpens, and then some need to happen as a staff. And that's where you have to kind of see where players are and have conversations with them based on some things they don't want the whole staff to know, some things it's good for the whole staff to learn. And I think you have to have get to know your players, where they struggle mentally, and really integrate it into their bullpen and tell them, I'm going to put you under stress today. This is to make you not feel great about things, to make you really nervous about things. Okay. I'm not doing it to be a jerk. I'm doing it so you learn how do you respond and then how can you be successful. And you can do that with hitting, with base running, with fielding. And and great coaches do that all over the country every day. I love this stuff. (laughs) This always makes me want to get back on the field. (laughs) Do you have any last tips for putting the girls in pressure situations without making them crumble <laughs> too far in a way that like gives them the tools to succeed. I think the biggest thing to remember is mental toughness is built the same way as physical strength. You know, if I were to go out today and try to run a marathon, they would be scraping me off the sidewalks in my neighborhood. But if I ran, you know, a few laps, I'd probably be okay. And then just added a few laps the next day. So I think sometimes where coaches, they try to overdo the mental training or they're like, we're going to spend a whole day on mental training. And your brain's like, oh, my goodness, I'm tired. I just ran a marathon. The li- Start with small stress. You know, can you catch three ground balls in a row? And for some players, that might be a lot. For your starting shortstop, she's like, give me 100. Great. Kind of doing it and similar to, you know, you start with maybe five pounds and then move up to 10 and 15 pounds. Of weight, I would recommend start with small mental training. Let them feel themselves becoming successful in small ways, and then they'll start to become successful in big ways. I think if you throw, you know, College World Series, Game 3, bases loaded, we're up by one in the seventh. Okay, that's a lot to start with. Maybe we should start with, you know, let's have a three-pitch K. (laughs) Let's maybe start there. So that's fine. (laughs) Let's bring it down to... Yeah, you're not going to ask them to go deadlift 500 pounds the first day back in the fall. Maybe not do that with the mental training either. And that is it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, then we'd truly appreciate if you share the show with a friend so they could benefit from it too. And if you're feeling super generous, head to your podcast player of choice and give us a review. Five little stars can help us reach more coaches like you and help build our club of sweet spotters to make an even bigger impact together. If you have any questions, comments, or guest requests, please feel free to reach out to me at mel at mentalsweetspot.com or shoot me a message on Twitter at Coach Mel Rushing. Thank you again for joining us. We'll see you again next week and have a good one.